0: Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your boy Jarrell Mason, better known as Jay Mason. Welcome to Beyond the Album Cover, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and give them their flowers. Why are they here to be celebrated? With me right now, I have a group that burst onto the scene in 1995 with their cover of the Q Sakamoto, popularized by Taste of Honey Sukiyaki, which went top ten on the Billboard Hot 100, and they set out the tour such countries such as Asia, Japan, Australia, U.S., Canada, Lay Down Your Love, their sophomore single, which was hitting, and they hailed formed out of Baltimore, Maryland. Shout out to everybody in the DMV. I have my guys Larry, Roberto, and Ray, better known as 4PM. Fellas, welcome to Beyond the Album Cup.
1: What's
2: up? What's up? (laughs)
1: How's everybody doing? How's
2: everybody doing out there? All
0: right, I believe I did that intro. Oh, no problem, man. Um, I believe I did that intro well. Can I be a part of the group? I mean, you guys can turn my mic off and have me far off left to the center of the stage <laughs> lip syncing or something, you know, I may have two left feet, but.
2: We, you know, yeah, listen, yeah, you man. know, Mar- Mar- Marty's no longer with us, man, so we, we, we do okay with having that fourth harmony in there. Yeah, animation. we need that right. fourth <laughs> harmony.
0: Yeah, just, just, just write me a yeah, speaking horn yeah, in there and we're good to go. <laughs> all right, all
2: right. Yeah, it's
0: definitely a pleasure to have you guys on, so let's just go ahead and jump right into it. How did four PM form? Anybody can take this question.
3: I appreciate. It. Well, uh, people might might not know, but Ray and I are brothers, so we actually grew up, you know, as kids in in the Bronx, New York. Uh, that's oh, yeah. where we were we were raised, and uh, years later, um, we met Larry in Maryland, in the Maryland era. Uh, area, I'm sorry. Uh, Our father was military, so he was based in Aberdeen, Maryland. And slowly but surely, we all relocated, met Larry and Marty. At the time, Ray, Larry, and Marty, they formed a breakdancing group. Oh, we was (laughs) breakdancing. Yeah, (laughs) breakdancing. So that evolved. When I moved to Maryland, I brought, I, I continued what Ray and I had started back in the Bronx, which was a couple of different variations of singing groups. Actually, we started rapping. When we met Marty and Larry, we got them to join us and practice with us and write with us. And the group for real uh, was born. Then we had to change our name and 4PM was born for Positive Music. That's it in a nutshell. That
2: that happened back (laughs) around 1991 is when 4PM was actually formed as a group, that name, with that name.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Long time ago. Long time ago.
0: Right. Yeah. So, Roberto, you mentioned that you and Ray, guys, originally from up top. So, what was that like coming down south and bringing everything that was coming from New York, hip-hop-wise? Because back during that time, this was pre-internet. So, you really weren't aware of what other parts of the country were doing rap scene-wise, and what was that like coming down? Like, oh, you guys ain't heard so-and-so by such-and-such? Because I know those New York mixtapes went for a high premium the further south you went. And anybody could grab this question.
2: Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's interesting that you say that, because I came out to Maryland before about um and you know the story goes i mean really but years later a lot of people from me would tell me that our family kind of brought culture legendary in that in that sense that you know when we came down there was a lot of things that were not really popping off i mean they was they were there were some people that would would break dancing some people that were rapping but we brought a a a, a, a kind of a more authentic piece of that culture that was born uh, in the Bronx, in New York, and, and brought it down to the area. And, and uh, you know, we, we, we're actually pretty well known and remembered in the Maryland area for having done that, in the Harford County area of Maryland. Yeah. Oh,
1: definitely, definitely. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So also, being in Maryland, I'm sure that Go-Go I had to kind of touch that since you guys are close to D.C. as well, right?
1: Oh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we, we, you know, we listened to all that I did, too, especially, you know, I mean, Trouble Funk. Oh, my God. That, that was the stuff back then. Mm-hmm. You know, that Go-Go music was hot back then. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's still doing its thing, but it was just real big back in the late 80s and early 90s. It was very big. Yeah. Oh, this whole area. So mm-hmm. we grew up on that.
0: Yeah. Nothing wrong with Go-Go. So I'm going to give Absolutely. you guys. Yeah, I'm going to give you guys. I, and I
2: remember the kids in the streets, you know, with the cans, the, with the, the bus. Kids, and kids all over to them playing yeah.
0: You know, like, oh, yeah. music. Yeah, man. So I'm going to give you guys a little bit of backstory about Chuck Brown, the Godfather of Go-Go. So Chuck Brown was born in my hometown in North Carolina before he ended up moving to D.C. And hmm. with okay. my area of North Carolina being about a four-hour drive from D.C., we got that Go-Go flair all of the time. But I think the first person to really put it on wax Make it known outside of DMV was Herbie Lovebug Azor, the man behind Salt and Pepper. Yeah, Kitty right. Yeah. So I want to give a shout out to Salt and Pepper, who just got their star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Oh, yeah, us, yes, yes, that's Big ups for right. that. And you guys were signed to Next Plateau. Salt and Pepper yes. was your label mates, in addition yes. with yes. Uh, Sybil Ultramagnetic MCs. Now, were there any other labels that were in the bidding war besides Next Plateau to sign you guys?
3: We actually uh, excuse me, we actually ended up in the offices of quite a few record companies. And uh, I think we auditioned for Sony for uh, EMI. capital uh, EMI. EMI. Yeah. And um, when we met with when we met uh, with Next Plateau, they were a smaller label that was uh, being distributed by a, a bigger conglomerate. Um, at the time, it just felt like a better a better relationship. you know they were you know they were smaller, they were paying close attention to the individual artists. and we felt that we didn't want to get lost in the sauce of a, a big company that had you know 30, That's 40, cool 50 art, yeah, 30, 40, 50 artists and we wouldn't get that you know close-knit attention. And I think I think for the most part, the people that we work with at Next Plateau were backing yeah. us. I mean, they they oh, we have, were they pushing, pushing our team. song on radio. They had us doing in-store signings. They had us mm-hmm. uh, doing drops for radio stations and, you know, slowly but surely all that hard work paid off. And next, thing you know, we, you know, certified gold here, as, as you mentioned, uh, our very first show was somewhere, uh, I don't I don't remember if it was San Antonio or Port Arthur, Texas, but the mm-hmm. first time we hit a stage at a festival in Texas, oh, man. by the time we got to the hook of the song, the whole crowd of 10,000 people were singing, it's all because of you. Right. And we were like, wow. You right. know, so Next Plateau really did uh, take care of us.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, who are some of your musical influences? Um who you guys listening to? We guys buffing guy, new edition, oh, Truth, man. All TKA, of, all,
1: of all of that. We listen to all of that, man. You from Prince to Michael Jackson. Oh, I mean, right. you just name it. I have, I have, a, I have a, a big range of artists that that I listen to, so and that I grew up on. So you know, it, it's it's it was just a they yeah. they they are in us. You know what I mean? That 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 was just something that we listened to. Yeah, exactly I, I think I
2: think for. I think for me, and maybe I, I might be speaking for Bob a little bit here too, but uh we even like there's a lot of cross-genre material and groups that we were into, like uh that go even further back, like the Bee Gees, you know, we're we big fans of the Bee Gees when we were coming up, we were a lot younger. And the ha- Hall Notes was one of my favorite oh, bands. Dang. So there's, there's a little bit yeah. of influence even in my voice, you know, uh to to uh the lead singer from Hall & Notes. Um, Phil Collins, oh man, yeah, Phil Collins, you know guys like that. So like, like we 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 are fans of really like multiple genres of music, and I think that that you know if you listen to our stuff, you'll find that some of the influence in in our music of 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 these cross genres. It's not just R and B. There's a lot of pop in there. There's a lot of the early uh, uh, popular all, music yeah, uh, stuff from it. the Motown era. You'll hear a little bit of that that flavor in there. So uh, quite a, quite a few different different artists. Yeah. Mm-hmm
0: definitely uh runs the gamut so what was it like performing in the talent show circuit around maryland really honing your craft before you guys got your deal and did you feel that going through that grind serve you guys well once you hit the big stage
1: oh yeah oh yeah that it definitely did that because there were you know we we started out acapella because we didn't have anybody to produce for us right and we were producers ourselves so we said, let's just start, you know, doing doing these things a cappella. So we learned how to do a cappella. And it actually helped us because we were doing a show, I think it was San Diego, when uh at that time, I think we were using uh ads and the tape mm-hmm. broke. And we were on stage and we just went right into our a cappella and they, and the crowd thought it was yeah. all part of the show. So oh, it definitely helped us. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
3: absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. So what was the go to acapella song that you would go to?
3: Oh uh, man. Well, man, we, we, we had have, a number of them. Yeah, we have we, we have few of, the, few of them. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we them.
2: like 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 Larry says, since we were primarily at that I mean when we when we when the group was born, we, we started off writing and arranging our songs a cappella, because like you said, we didn't we didn't have instrumentation. So we were able to just kind of one two three and into any song we wanted to in those days, you know. So we had a lot of originals. I think some of our favorites were probably Forward More, which was on the first album, as far as I then can tell. Songs go. Then, then came, came you was, was also I think on the first album on the on the overseas version of the album at least one of them. Uh, but we had that song that we would do a lot. And then believe it or not, man, we used to cover a lot of standards like uh In the Still of the Night, which I think was recorded also by Awful One. At one point, did, did didn't they do that? They recorded that. So in oh, love, so in love, it, so in so love they so did in that, love. and so we would sing love. songs love. like that, acapella. So in love in the still of the night under the boardwalk. Which Shy is a classic.
1: We did, a, we did a song by Shy. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah it, it, you know we did right. we did that one. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, and I'm sure probably some and D's was up in there somewhere too. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. You can't forget about the yeah. and D's.
0: Yep. So most people don't know Force MDs originally was the Force MCs with the late DJ Dr. Shock and that they were the right. first group to merge doo-wop and hip-hop and every group that came after them owes it to the Force MDs. Yes. And what I'm tell you, the Force MDs and pion- Silverman did that Tommy Boy with them.
2: Yeah, the Force MDs are definitely pioneers. Bobby and I used to see Force MDs live. <laughs> Uh, In the Bronx, before they even put records out, as the force MCs, you know, we would actually roll up at at, at parties in in the Bronx and 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 see those guys on the stage doing their thing. So so we got a chance to witness that live, you know, when we were coming up in in the Bronx.
0: That's dope. And and I wonder, with you guys originally come from the Bronx, did you ever go to any of the old school hip hop haunts like Disco Fever, Tunnel, Latin Quarters? Every one of them. Absolutely, yes, every right. one of the
2: ones that you mentioned and more. There were little spots, uh, uh, on Tremont, you know, they had the Devil's Nest that yeah. that, that came up. Uh, there, there was a lot of cool spots, and, and we would see like DJ Scott LaRock, uh, uh KRS1, you Ooh. know, these guys just performing live. I mean, this was before anybody made records, before Rappers yeah. Delight came out. You know, we were watching all these cats live on stage doing their thing, the, the Treacherous Three, the Awesome Foursome, um Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. I mean, there was a bunch of them that we got a chance yeah. to see live before they put records out. Did you yeah. see Africa Bambada? Africa Mambada, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah,
3: wow. yeah, yeah it, it actually it actually went to before the, the clubs were really popping. We used to we used to catch all these cats in the schoolyards when the DJs would come out come out with, you know, forty speakers, thirty-eight crates of records, and just you know, going at it, and we would see all this talent just, you know, flourishing all throughout the Bronx, yeah. Yeah,
0: and I wonder for Roberta and Way, since you guys are from the Bronx, were you team Juice Crew or team BDP?
2: <laughs> oh, BDP, absolutely. BDP all the way, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, because as the story goes, I believe Carrow one tried to play South South Bronx on another record for the late Mr. Magic. Mr. Magic wasn't feeling it, then they went and created South Bronx, and then somehow it got a hold of Red Alert, I believe, at the Latin Quarters. And Red Alert just had to keep running that record back because it just stirred up such a frenzy because of that borough pride.
2: Right. Yes, that's it. Absolutely. Man. That's it. I mean, if anybody knows in New York, there was always the rivalries between the boroughs. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, you always had one borough trying to out-top the other one. So when that South Bronx came out, that anthem right there had everybody in the Bronx just going crazy.
0: Mm. And, speaking <laughs> of, and speaking of the boroughs, I want to talk about this one gentleman hails from Harlem. This man forever changed the sound of R&B, meshing hip-hop and R&B. Dougie Fresh, Slick Rick, The Show, Lottie mm. Dottie, went mm, on absolutely. to produce Keith Sweats, Make It Last Forever. Guy wow. self-titled debut album. We can go down the list about this man. Oh. So, can you all talk about what was it like the first time you guys heard Teddy Riley's production and the merging of hip hop with R&B, which gave birth to what we now know as New Jack Swing? Oh,
3: I got I got one little <laughs> phrase to say. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> that that was yep. that was Teddy Teddy Riley's signature. Yeah, man, Teddy <laughs> Riley did big things for the whole music scene. I mean, I mean, everything that he touched was just like magic. It had oh, it had well, the, the the melodic flow as far as the vocals went. The beats were killer and uh, just one of the one of the greatest to ever do it. Absolutely.
2: Right, yeah.
1: Right. I know I, I was impressed with them, man. I, I love them. All of that. I love we grew up on yeah, that. Man. That was, our, yeah. that was our era, you know what I mean? We That's all we listened to was all that, that good stuff back then. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, whose idea, fast forwarding, whose idea was it to cover Sukiyaki? Because like I stated earlier, it was originally done by Q Sakamoto, became famous here in America through A Taste of Honey. It was incorporated in Lottie Dottie. So whose idea was it to cover Sukiyaki and it became a crossover smash over here in America?
1: I would it, say the because they yeah, they're the company. It. Yeah. That was Eddie O, Eddie O Laughlin I think yeah. came up with that yep. idea. Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, he, he, he 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 presented it to us and we were like at first I was like I don't know what he's talking about because I wasn't sure but then when he said Slick Rick that I oh I know what melody you're talking about so it right. all came I you know what I mean. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean the the song the song obviously had such a history I mean you know <laughs> Uh, it dates all the way back to 1963. And like you mentioned, Taste of Honey did the first English version of that song. Slick Rick had a piece of it in there. I think Snoop Dogg did a piece of it in a song that he did. Mary J. Blige did a line of it in a song that she did. I mean, so that song yeah. has such a rich history. And we're just honored to have been a part of that, part of that long history. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Now... Were you surprised at the reaction to the song hitting so well in the US and overseas? And then what was the next step for Next Plateau once they saw that Sukiyaki was a big puppet?
3: Well, absolutely, we were surprised. I, for one, kind of questioned the whole idea of doing the song because, you know, we were writing, we had a bunch of songs in, you know, (laughs) in the in the archives, <laughs> and we were trying to we were trying to say, OK, well, let's 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 produce this one. And they're like, no, we have an idea for you. We want mm-hmm. you to do this song, Sukiyaki, as your first single. And we were kind of like throwing a back from it. But once it's like I said, once it started climbing the charts and playing all over radio stations, it was like, wow. I mean, he definitely yeah. had a, a ear and a sense for what would make it in popular music. Um once it started climbing the charts and getting all this attention the first thing they did is say okay we got the first single we need an album and they threw us in a studio and we recorded our debut album now's the time in 21 days that's crazy that is crazy <laughs> we, yeah, we, we just we,
2: we just slept in the studio man
3: oh, and like you know mess, had to man. had we to would. send somebody
2: man. out for pizza and you know it, we it didn't was just shower. it, we was, a, for it like was a grueling schedule time. man
1: you know what I mean? It was terrible. It was
0: yeah. terrible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but nothing like the present time to capitalize on the momentum because when yeah. I talked with KT from Coney Me Bad, they had the same experience because when I Want to Sex You Up blew up, people were only buying the single and not the soundtrack. And Cassandra Mills, who was head at Giant, was like, yo, guys got to get in the studio, record the album, you guys are white hot. So it was kind of like the same right. aspect with you all was like, singles white hot. Let's capitalize, get in the studio, let's record. Yeah,
2: yeah. In fact, we're, we're, it's funny that you mentioned that because we're in that same mode now. We're getting a lot, a lot of great feedback on our first single, which is not coming out until December 16th, uh, will be available for pre-sale on November 28th. But um, because we're getting such a, a good feedback on that single uh, and we're the label, right, we got to make sure that we have a full LP, you know, ready to ready to roll. You know what I'm saying. So so that's something that we're actually going through the same experience now. You know what I mean.
0: Mm-hmm. Now yeah. I was now I was wondering who are some of the acts that you guys got to tour with? Did you guys do shows with Off One, Comedy oh. Bad, Boys oh. of Paradise, Barrio Boys?
1: Man, we shared the stage with a lot of people. We shared yeah, stage, yeah. share yeah. stage with Usher. We shared stage with we even fruit. rap Naughty by Nature. Yeah. I mean,
2: uh, uh, MC Hammer. MC. It was great. The the Fugees, Mary J. Blige, uh, Montel Jordan. Oh, Um, man. I mean, that list is it goes so deep. There's a lot of people I don't I don't remember. Bob, you can mention some. uh, Yeah, it
3: was it was cool because we we did a lot of the here in the U.S. when we were touring here, we did a lot of the festivals. And yeah. fortunately for us, the festivals were a, a good mixture of genres. So, like Larry mentioned, there were rap artists, there were R and B artists, there right. were pop artists. So we were, you know, we were on the ticket with a, with a lot of the groups. Um, our U.S. presence, though, once the record really hit big, uh, Japan was wondering, okay, why is Sukiyaki all of a sudden a big thing? in the U S again, you know, after so many years and who is, and who is this group of guys that brought it out? So Japan requested us to go out there and tour. So the the record company sent us to Japan. We went to Japan, Malaysia, Hong Kong, Indonesia, Singapore, uh, Australia. We went on this whole worldwide thing while the record was like you said, white hot. And then Mm -hmm. once we came back, as you know, the U.S. was already, you know, okay, that that record was good for a minute, Mm -hmm. but now it's on to the next. So we kind of lost an opportunity to really, you know, do the talk show circuit and, and, you know, sing the song at some of the award shows and all that stuff. So there was a window of opportunity that, unfortunately, you know, it was... You know, there was a balance. Either stay here and, and reap those benefits or go and perform and for the, the world and, and reap band. those benefits.
0: Mm. So performing internationally, um, what was that experience like going over there? Because I know when I look at the K-pop movement with BTS and all those acts coming out of there, it's pretty much just their take on US r Even when you go back to C.O. Tajin and Boys, and I know... That whole record, that whole style was pretty much US RB based.
1: Yes.
2: Yeah, Yeah. 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 Absolutely. That 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 Western influence has been going on in Asia for as long as we can remember. I mean, when oh, we man. it's funny, when we started touring Japan in, in in the early days, I mean, I was surprised to find how many like hip hoppers were out there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was yeah. a shock to us. But right. but I mean, these kids were dressed up with Kangos and Adidas and 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 this retro kind of like Run DMC look, you know, what I'm saying that uh, that I I didn't expect to find Afro. out that,
1: They had afros. They had
2: afros, and we were like, "Well, wait a minute, what's <laughs> going on here?" You know. We were but there's there's yeah, such we a like- powerful uh Western influence out there that I think most people here in the U.S. don't even understand it. I mean, and and it's one thing to to see it on TV and see it on stages, man. But when, when you're there and you walk through the town of, of Tokyo or 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 or, or Osaka. On the and you see these kids actually dressed like that, man. You're like, wow, it's amazing
1: that we got on them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would run up to somebody thinking it was a brother with a backpack on, and I tap him. (laughs) He turn around, he's Japanese, and I'm like, Oh, my bad, my bad.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that just goes to show you how the US is the greatest export of culture. Now, what would you say would be the main difference in touring the US market? Then the international market. I know you mentioned earlier when you guys were touring the U.S., you guys are on the festival bills. But what was that like touring internationally? And what would you say was the main difference between uh, the two different uh, markets?
3: In, internationally, we were fortunate that most of the shows that we were booked on were exclusive 4 p.m. for positive music shows. Yeah. So we were, we were showcased... At dinner yeah. theaters and even even festivals, you know, we have we have uh we just pulled up some old video footage uh back in 1997 in Asahikawa, Japan, where we've got a crowd of I don't know 15 20,000 people, you know, yeah. in a big old field, there's a stage, and we were the we right. were the chill you know what i mean we were the main act and it was kind of odd to us because we traveled with a band at one point but this particular uh, festival uh we did a track show but yet it was all these people and we were like well why didn't they let us bring the band you know what i mean but they they, they enjoyed it we had it we had a good time but they they received us so well over there we actually in the course of in the course of uh, a decade from 1995 that sukiyaki hit uh eight on the billboard charts to 2003 when we did our last live performance in japan we traveled to japan and every major city in that country over 30 times
0: man that is that's crazy that just showed you that you guys were well received in that market. Now, Sukiyaki, big hit. How did "Lay Down Your Love" come about to be the follow-up single after uh, Sukiyaki?
2: I I think that "Lay Down," you know, after we recorded it, I mean, it was definitely uh, known that that was going to be a, a a successful record just based on the the, the feel. It was a feel-good song, nice r b you know, uh, track and uh, the record label and us i think collectively decided that you know what that should be the second one to go out after sukiyaki I and mean, it just felt right you know and so when it got released i mean it got immediate attention uh the video uh was a great video we shot that in new york and soho i believe in a studio uh by a man named paul hunter who was a great video director and so i think the vi- the, the visual side of the song also really uh helped gain a wider audience for the song and and you know it didn't fare as well as sukiyaki but it did it did spend a little bit of time on the chart and uh we're it's funny because here we are years later and i don't know if bob and larry if you feel the same but we're getting a lot of people telling us now man that song laid on your love was my favorite you know so you you know you don't hear these things along the, the the years but like like on current day we're finding out that man people were big huge fans of Lay on your love a lot more
1: than we even knew
3: mm-hmm. oh, well, yeah. we-
1: what was strange, too, was we we go to a lot of the radio stations and, you know, we do the interviews with the radio stations and some of the stations were actually uh, curious because they said they were like, why didn't you guys release Time, Clock at the Heart, uh, by right. which was the remake? And we were like, well, the record company wanted to release this song. So yeah. that was the song that could have done well for us, too. And it yeah. was more tempo." Yeah. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that song. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, you got to love those industry politics where artists may have <laughs> one idea of, hey, I want this right. to be the lead off or the second single, but they're like, no, this is going to be your lead off. This is going to be your second single kind of having the map already laid out. So did you guys have any battles with Next Plateau as far as taking more direction in terms of career saying we want it to be in our hands as opposed to already having it canned and you telling us what to do? Uh,
2: un- Unfortunately, I think we were too young to, oh, really, uh, yeah. to really, you know, kind of stand up for ourselves and, and have that battle. You know, we had a few small little tips, but we never really had the discussion of having the creative control that we would like to have had at the time. Oh, and because yeah. of that, there were a lot of missed opportunity. Like Bob said earlier, you know, we were touring Asia when our song was in the top 10. You know, we should have been here in the U.S. doing uh, back then. What was it? You know, you had the David Letterman show and Jay Leno and, and all these big. You, you, know, summer, shows, you know, good like, morning, America. That's yeah. where we should have been while we were in the top ten. But the labor right. felt that we should have been in Asia. Had we had more creative control, we knew where we were supposed to be. And we were saying it. But but I guess our voices weren't loud enough to be able to to convince the powers that be that we should have been here. We had right. an offer to be on, uh, to so be an opening act for Luther Vandross. Van you know, we got a call from his people and everybody knows Luther was, you know, was the fantastic. big singing sensations of the, during that time. And we would have loved to be an opening act for him, but our label thought we were too young to be on the road with him at the time and turned it down. You know, like we didn't even have a chance to say yes or no.
3: We found out after the fact. Yeah,
2: We found out after the fact, you know, so so definitely we we felt the sting of not being able to have that control. And so. Uh, again, and I'm not to fast forward, but we also we understood that this time around, since we we were ready to go back out and do it again, we had to have that 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 creative control. And so we positioned ourselves to be the label, to put this new music out independently and to be able to make those decisions for ourselves.
0: Right. And how old were you guys at the time when uh, Sukiyaki and Laydown was at its height?
2: I was I was the youngest. I was twenty five. I want to say we weren't like yeah. we weren't teenagers. I, I mean we were we were, we're kind of mid twenties. Twenty yeah twenty
1: seven. Yeah 27. We, we
2: were a little older than like boys to men and the awful ones when they came out. They were a little younger than we were, but yeah. um, but we were still young. I mean you know you, even in your twenties you're still kind of well, young. We were you
1: new know, in so. the game. We were new in the game. We didn't really understand yeah. the music business part right. of the music industry. We we right. just went, we just were performers and singers and entertainers and right. we didn't really understand the behind the scenes. And
3: that's what right. kind of got. I think yeah. I think at one point, the four of us, you know, discussed the little uh, disagreements that we would have with the label and the management and the production team, whatever those were, we kind of chalked it up to, all right, this is our first time out here. These are the dues that we have to pay let's let's go off on the success of sukiyaki let's get another record to hit and then once we go into the second album we can renegotiate get better terms have a little bit more creative you know decision making and it it kind of started to work that way cuz we actually did negotiate a better deal for the second album we had a little bit more uh, creative decision making in the second album, but then the record labels, Next Plateau and its parent company, they started beefing with amongst themselves, and then we just got lost in that whole, oh, yeah, we in that whole in yeah we got lost politics so yeah we got so we yeah the 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 whole thing just kind of melted on us during the the label the, the label friction. You know what I
0: mean? Yeah. So you guys pretty much got caught in the middle of all of that.
3: Yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: That, mm-hmm. Yeah. It,
3: that, it, it, it wasn't long
2: after that that we ended up parting ways with the with the label. You know, we uh we got an entertainment lawyer to help sever those contracts, and and we went kind of on our own after that, after the second album.
0: Mm-hmm. So were there any other um, major labels that were interested after you guys left Next Plateau, or after that you guys kind of? We're like mm, we don't want to do the major thing anymore let's try and go indie
3: that that was that was the the feeling absolutely <clears throat> we didn't want to make the same mistake twice <laughs> yeah
2: pretty much so we we, we went on to record our, our, our third release which which really didn't fare that well but it, it was an experiment like we put the album on, on the our own label uh, similar to what we're doing now but without the experience that we have now and so that didn't do too well and then we eventually signed a deal with a Japanese company. Uh, called Polydor Records, just single Canyon, album deal. Yeah. uh called Sweet Soul, and we ended up ha- that was released uh, just in the Asian market. So that was mm-hmm. the, the fourth album that we did, but most people in the U.S. don't even know about Sweet Soul.
0: It's one of those albums that you could probably only get on an import, and you're gonna pay a lot of money right. for an import. A lot of money, import. absolutely. tell yeah. <laughs> you that. A lot so. Of money. I was wondering, was there ever one group that was out during your time period that you wish had bigger success, but for reasons or another, the record didn't translate to the market, or they just came out too early?
1: Oh yeah, there was there was one group we were out touring with called uh Boys of Paradise. Oh yeah. They, oh yeah. them boys low man, them Amazing. Boys, they weren't no yeah. joke. But, but but I think what it was was there the the people just they weren't receptive to them because when, when when they finally met them, they were like, Oh, it's them because I think right. most of the guys were like either Filipino, Guamanian, or something like that. Hawaiian and, and they were singing R and B and they were like, Well, and they had yeah. long jet black hair, and they were like, We what who are these? Is is that right. the same? Are those the guys so I, I, I kind of felt like man that they, they didn't get they got a raw deal you know what I mean
0: yeah yeah because I believe they were signed to Ice T's label they covered the Manhattan shining star and then yeah. yeah. run around as yeah. their second single they were definitely a dope group yeah. but the one group that I felt should have blown up in the U S they had some success in the Spanish language market but I felt they came out two to three years too early in the U S before the Latin explosion and that was Barrio Boys. Oh yeah, yeah. Was good. yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah, Arbor was very absolutely. good. Absolutely. absolutely, yeah. And then well, there was there were, uh, the, the couple of groups that come to my mind are a group called um there's a few, one's called what was called Into You. Oh uh, yeah. Had, oh yeah. I'm
1: a, a, uh, oh yeah. yeah.
2: they had a really yeah. nice song and then there was another group called Portrait. You know, that came what? out with a I think they did a Bee Gees cover that was really nice. Uh You remember that Bob um was it how deep how deep how deep is your love yeah. they did a really nice rendition of how deep is yep. your love so they were i mean there was a lot of really good groups man that just kind of you know unfortunately you know the, the one hit wonder you know we 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 kind of fell into that ship too but uh there's there's a lot of them that we actually got a chance to share stages with that you know unfortunately didn't didn't get a chance to to create or claim that household name title that that most of us wanted back then you know I mean? right
0: yeah because um. Because back to Barrio Boys, um, I had a chance to interview Joe Jacket, who put them together. He was with New Kids on the Blocks camp. And he talked to Maurice Starr and was like, hey, how do you do this? He's like, I want to do a group two. It's like, okay, same formula like New Kids, but get guys that can do English and Spanish. And I don't know if you guys were familiar with uh, Nesto Velasquez.
3: Mm, no. He had
0: a single out on Uptown back in around '92. Never released the album, but originally he was supposed to be a member of Barrio Boys. But I just look at that time period when you guys were out and all these other groups. What made that period special to where you had all these groups? You had you guys? You had New Flavor. You had No Question. Mm-hmm. Old School. Uh, Souls of Theory. I mean, oh, what was man. it about that period that? made groups just really pop.
3: I think I think for I mean for us, well from for me, I've always been a fan of of harmonies and, and lyrics. Uh um Ray and Ray and Larry are known for, for sharing lead songs on all of our projects. Uh I'm mostly in the background, you know, with my pen or tablet, you know, trying to tell a story. And then I'll present it to the guys and say, "Okay, you know, I think this will make a good song and then we'll work on it and and bring that song to life. So I think at that period of time, all the groups were emulating, you know, the cats from back in the days that, you know, you know, we grew up on. Yeah. Uh, The OJs, the stylistics, the Manhattans, the four tops. I mean, that whole where there was a four man, five, five part harmony. We were all emulating that style. And so yeah. at that period, you, you know, they say everything mm-hmm. comes around in circles. Yeah. So at that point in time, the harmony group with the steps, the choreography, uh-huh. 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 you know, the love, the love songs and all that, it was just a remaking of that previous era. And you know, the time yeah. was right. We we, we yeah. were there in that park pocket, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Right, you right. Yeah, and I mentioned earlier how the international market was very good to you guys, but also for US-based pop RBX, it was the testing ground before they ended up breaking in the US case in point, Bashy Boys, sync I know 98 degrees debut album fared better over in Asia than the US. Personally, my favorite album. So, what is it that you think is about that market that really received well those groups before they had their respective success here in America.
1: I just think they appreciate music so much overseas for some reason. Yeah. Once they're your fan, it seem like they're, they're a fan for life. Yeah, for like, yeah, yeah, it's... it's, it's, it's
2: there's more yep. loyalty amongst the fans yep. and, and the groups that they love. I think that you know the U.S. Uh, you know, and, and not to bash our, our country, but we become more so uh, a country of what have you done for me lately? You know what I'm saying? You know, you kind of hear here today, gone tomorrow. You know, if you're not doing anything right now, then I, then I don't need to know about you. Whereas if if uh, overseas and, and especially we experienced that in Asia, I mean, we have fans that have reached out to us. Over the years. Hey, how you guys doing? What are you up to? When are you coming back? That's one of the reasons why you you see us doing this again today in our 50s, because our fans really kind of pulled us back in. You know what I'm saying? Right. If it wasn't for our previous fans saying, hey, we really need want more music. You know, we and we certainly thank God that he kept us healthy and alive and well and and and, and with with good voice to be able to do it. You know, that's a, that's a whole nother blessing in itself. But our fans, we, we credit them for 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 being there over the years, those loyal fans that we've had, you know, especially our Japanese fans and our Asian, Asian territory fans. I mean, they really, uh, have been asking for this for a long time. So.
0: Right. Is yeah, that-
3: it's, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting that, uh, once we started working on this project, we had, uh, individuals, uh, research us on social media, you know, going back to our old videos and, Anything that was on the internet that had to do with 4 p.m. And they found that we are still uh receiving commentary, you know, at, at the time when when we had the conversation as early as three weeks prior, and this is 2022, three weeks prior, where somebody was commentating, oh yeah, 4 p.m., that was my favorite. You know, now's the time was my favorite album. I love this song and I love their rendition of Sukiyaki and and they were saying, You guys are you guys are continually trending. You know, there's still people fans to this day mentioning you guys and wondering where you're where you're at. And you know, uh can can somebody can somebody in the record industry bring them back, you know what I mean? And it was right, like right. It was right. fascinating for me. It was it was flattering. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and with you guys, Helen, uh, Foreman, and Bmore, I was curious. Did you have any interactions with Drew Hill prior to their ascension, or you didn't cross paths with Drew Hill?
2: Just that one time in the in the before they came out with their records in the Chocolate Factory, I think that's was the only was one. I remember. Right, right. The fudge, yeah, the, the,
1: the fudgery,
0: oh, the fudgery. The strangest thing, yes. Yeah. Yeah,
1: strangest thing that we never really shared the yeah. stage
0: across the path. we would love to, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Cisco probably was busting a flip somewhere in the back while uh was making some or something like that. And at, um, at,
3: that, at that time, we were doing acapella shows at, right. in the Inner Harbor, the amphitheater. And I think yeah. it was during the intermission of one of those shows, we went into the into the mall area to get some, you know, a snack, something to drink. And the fudgery was inside the, the, the mall. Right. And as we're getting out, you know, going to look at what we're going to eat, you know, we hear this harmony coming from around the corner. So we go to see what it is. And there's a crowd over this uh, this stand. And sure enough, they were in the back there just, it's, yeah, it's just flipping long. over the fudge, man. And, and just, you know, going to town and, you know, singing a yeah. song. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yep. And then, of course, Drew Hill ended up popping It ended up breaking. Now, I want yeah. to shift back really quick because we kind of talked about it a little bit. But I believe if you are from New York and Miami, then you understand the impact of freestyle. But I want to hmm. talk about its influence and how it kind of paved the way for what we see now with Reggaeton, Daddy Yankee, Bad Bunny, Don Omar, Luis Fonzi, list goes on and on. But, you know, it wouldn't be none of that if it wasn't for TKA, TKA, B Sensation, Cover oh, Girls, man. Judy Torres, X-CoVe, Lanier, George Lemon The list right. goes on and on. So let's talk about its influence, freestyle.
2: Oh, my goodness, man. Oh. Talk about its influence. I, it? I, you know, probably one of the favorite eras for me at that time i was actually just getting out into the clubs in new york and so i i got i got to see tk and and, and cover girls sweet sensation uh you know live on stage uh expose you know at a lot of the clubs oh, in Manhattan, man. and so uh it was just an era where i mean that popped especially for latinos you know i mean this was like almost like even to this day, you know, you talk to a Latino from New York and 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 they mention freestyle, you know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, it's it's I, I it's like our signature music. You know, Bobby and I are both pu- of Puerto Rican descent, you know. So our, our parents are both born and raised in Puerto Rico. And and you know, we we grew up in New York, so we consider ourselves New Yoricans, but right. that that Latin freestyle music is in our blood. <laughs> you know what I'm oh, saying? And even right. though matter of fact, some of our earliest stuff that we wrote. You know, we haven't recorded yeah. some of the songs, but you know, the stuff that especially Bob Penn back in the day, they all have a very like a freestyle flavor to that. It did. You know
1: what I'm saying? Did.
2: And so we never recorded a lot of that stuff, but I think one of these days we're gonna some of them songs, we're gonna have to get them out there. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>.
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: We gotta yeah. mention. Lisa Lisa, because Lisa Lisa oh. started at the production with Full Force. Oh. When One If I Take You Home, that really set it off yeah. for Freestyle, for me personally, that record. And they got played on R&B radio, because I can remember seeing Expose on BT Video Soul, Soul Train, yeah. on Apollo. It was a lot of cross-pollinization with Latin music, R&B, with hip-hop and Ray you mentioned that you and you and your brother are Puerto Rican did you yeah. guys secretly want it to be in menudo or no <laughs> <laughs> no
2: not at not, all not not really not really i mean you know uh listen i would love i would love to have had their success <laughs> Don't yeah, get me yeah, wrong yeah,
0: yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. But, but i think that, i think
2: that our influences were always more sort of leaning even though like i said we had a a, a multi genre influence mm-hmm. but when it came down to our our, our craft we kind of we were hip hop heads as kids. I mean, we leaned a little bit more into hip hop, more R&B. You know, mm. we we kind of grew into loving those groups like you mentioned uh the New Jack style, you know, Mary J Blige, you know, as soon as as soon as Bad Boy hit the hit the hit the, the stations, we, you know, we were into all of that. You know, so I think that even though we're Puerto Rican, I think that you know, uh we kind of grew to love more of the hip hop R&B scene right. as artists. Now, that doesn't mean right. that if we go to a party or if we throw a party, we're not going to throw on some salsa, you know what I'm saying? Or some reggaeton, right. you know, we still get down mm-hmm. with right. all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, we still get down with all of that.
0: Right. But, men- but but,
2: in, but in, as far as artists are concerned, I think we lean more into the, the, the R&B culture.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And I wanted to get from each one of you guys, what was it like the first time you guys heard New Edition? Because think oh. about this, 1983, Candy Girl. It was oh. rare to hear rap incorporated in R&B. And if you think about it, we mentioned Force MDs. New Edition was the first R&B group, I think, for me to put rap on wax, mix of R&B, because they were doing the traditional steps like OJ's, Temptations, The Whispers. Right. They also had that added, added element of hip hop, because they were the, part of the first generation of kids to come up on hip hop.
1: Oh, I wanted to be like them, man. Oh, man. Even though, I, even, even though I was like, man, I ain't no singer, man. I'm not. I'm not. Right. I can't do that. You know what I mean? But it it all evolved into that. They were a major influence. They definitely were an influence. Yeah, yeah especially to me.
2: So so much so that we ended up doing a lot of songs. And when we when we were performing, Bobby and I, just before we met Larry, actually. Because we had a couple of other bands before we formed 4PM, but we actually did a lot of stuff like that, right? B, where we would sing and rap, yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely, in, in the same song, and so, so we we picked up uh, a lot of influence from New Edition in that respect, you know, yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of the earlier groups that were coming up were probably mm-hmm. doing the same kind of thing.
0: Right, yeah, and the one group who was heavily influenced by New Edition, they were the West Coast version of them. Their dancing was more hip-hop, pop, locking, and I really wish pop success would have been bigger for them. Troop, because Troop was no oh, joke. Oh, troop, yeah, Troop was
2: good. Troop, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Oh, troop, troop had a man. nice a, a nice sound, a nice flavor, great harmonies, you know what I mean? Whatever happened to Troop, man? Where they at?
0: Yeah, Troop, <laughs> I, I know they're still out touring. It is um, Alan... Rodney, Steve, and John John kind of Reggie from True. He passed away, uh, okay. not too not too okay. long ago. So R.I.P. Reggie Warren. They have a documentary that was just released on YouTube called "Tales okay. of a Boy Band," which is definitely yep. a great great thing worth watching. And Rodney's nephew, Hit Boy producer, um, produced uh, Nas King Disease records. Nas just released King Disease three last wow. week. And he actually made a nod to Troop. And one of those records. So Troop's legacy still lives on. Of course, all the songs that Steve has written over the years, you know, be for B2K, Take You Down, Chris right. Brown, No Air, Chris Brown, George ah. Sparks. So the legacy is still out there. So let's talk about the legacy. Need, of, go ahead. We need you to
2: put us in touch with them before you get We need you to put us in touch with Troop, man.
0: All right. So let's <laughs> talk about the legacy of this Baltimore radio station that is well known. 92Q,
3: uh, yeah. Uh, oh, 92Q, absolutely. 92Q, oh. man. 92Q. Let yeah, me they, tell you,
2: the, the I think I think one of the first promo shows that we did was called, was the Harbor Jam. Remember, guys? 92Q yeah, yeah, yeah. hosted yeah. the Harbor Jam, and the, they had the they had the the big amphitheater at the Inner Harbor, and oh, they hosted man. a big thing every summer there. And I think we were, uh, we were just coming out with our record. Uh, it was one of the first showcases that we did and we were on the stage that day with uh Hammer Robert,
1: Foodies, Hall, Aaron, Aaron Hall, Hall was Hall. in the building oh,
2: uh I mean it, you talk about it was a real experience I mean it was just crazy but 92q has always made sure that they stayed on the pulse of 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 good music you know what I'm saying yeah. uh yeah. you know they they matter of fact they were the first station to play our song in in in, in baltimore uh, the first time i ever heard the song on the radio i was on my way home from somewhere it came on i had to pull over and we just sat back listening to <laughs> you know because they, you know, also, it too they also hosted one of
1: our concerts that we did locally for the high school they sure, they sure
2: did we did a local yeah. concert you know uh a show that we you know we would top bill on and and we wanted a good MC and we call 92Q and they send, the, you know, one of the MCs out there to, to MC the show.
0: Yeah. This was yeah. back in the days when radio stations had their own showcases, their summer concerts or winter That's concerts. It. And if you were lucky, they will go live from the concert site. So you had yeah. your 120 minute Maxell cassette tape. Ready to record your radio was in the right spot <laughs> in the house, the antenna had to be up just right, and this was before digital tuners, so you had to make sure the tune <laughs> was just right to make sure that there was absolutely. no failure. So, since 92Q yeah, yeah. was a big supporter of you guys, were you guys getting the same love in the DMV area from PGC or KISS?
2: Yeah, we were. Well, yeah, yeah, B- yeah B- was, gave us a lot of support. STW uh, was gave us a lot of support. Uh, uh, what's the, it was a 96.9? I, I think uh, so. It was so many- they did with the adult contemporary station in, in Baltimore too. Gave us a lot of love and support. I mean, I think a hometown didn't do us wrong at all, man. They every single station from Baltimore realized that we were homegrown and, and they treated us as such. You know what I mean? So, you know, a lot yeah. of times that doesn't happen, but uh we were fortunate that that all of our local stations really got behind us. Yeah, yeah, much, much yeah. love to today.
0: Yeah. Cause I was about to ask, um, with DC and Maryland being right there, was there any differences musically between the two, even though it's just a nice little short drive and, you know, we mentioned go, go earlier and Baltimore had Baltimore club. So it was really where both communities were really supporting each other. Was it kind of like, okay, we're only sticking with what's going on in DC. We're only sticking what's going on in, uh, Maryland, Maryland, and all the other places around Baltimore. No, I think. I
3: think. I think yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, Bob. No, I think both both cities uh, definitely supported each other. The only yeah. difference is is that uh, you go to D.C., you would hear both styles, but it would be more, you know, go go heavy. If you come to Baltimore, it would be right. more Baltimore house, you know, heavy. Yeah. But they would, but they would infuse a little bit of go go during, you know, during the course of the night. Yeah, mix But yeah. Um, that, Definitely, that's As a that, fact, that uh, was good. What's the DJ Frank? Effect. Frank,
2: remember Frank, Frank DJ Frank. Frank Ski? Frank Ski. Frank Ski yeah, was really. was uh was was very well known, and he ended up doing the Doo Brown record. You know, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, that came out and exploded. You know, uh, I forget what year that was, but, but yeah, uh, also, you, had,
1: you had Miss Tony that did real well. You know what I mean? Yeah, mm. yeah.
3: P- you, put your Actually, put your guns Miss down. Tony was at that at that ninety two Q jams uh. Uh, yeah, Miss Tony That
2: well. at yes. the same, at the very first show that we did, Miss Tony performed on that, too, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah we got right. great, great memories.
0: Yeah, that Pull Your Guns Out record, I remember hearing that while watching The Corner, which was a prequel yeah. to The Wire, and so right. I kind of got a little bit of taste of Femore Club, and then as... You know, a lot of kids from the DMV area went to school down in the Carolinas and further south. Yeah. They brought that DMV flavor with them. So you got to hear a lot of that go-go, a lot of that yeah. be more club, especially since it was so close from driving distance. And I kind of think it was a good thing that after the butt by EU go-go they oh. national because it was a regional sound that was known to D.C., and then it got put back into national consciousness thanks to Nellie and Hotton here because he sampled "Busting Loose" by Chuck Brown and the Soul Searchers. Yeah,
2: yep, yep. Yeah. Man. Hey, man, you you know your music, man. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> you know your music, man. That was the, all. All of those were classics, man. All of those are classics.
0: Class, great records, classic yeah. records. So let's talk about this new single that will be dropping on the single December sixteenth. So explain how did that come about and. Can we expect more from our uh, four pm? Well, like
3: Ray, like Ray yeah. mentioned that uh, we've we've always, you know, been writing, and we've since you know back when we were you know young kids with the previous groups, and recently we went into the we went into the vault. We we pulled out the notebooks of of songs. We pulled out the old cassette tapes and started listening to old demos and the first single that you're going to hear December 16th is actually a song that we wrote back in 1996 so we had to do a little bit of revamping, remodernizing, bringing it, you know, a little bit more adaptable to the current sound for 2022, you know, listeners and and going into 2023 but the story the melody, the harmonies are classic 4PM.
2: Yeah,
3: you know, and we hope the the fans and the audiences, yeah. you know, enjoy it.
2: I I, yeah. I think people I think people are gonna learn how number one how ahead of our time we probably were back then as writers, but how timeless the the, the lyrical content is. You know, it's a song about love and relationships and the ups and downs of those relationships. You know, uh, I just tell people it's you know that idea that you know I love this person that's my my person but sometimes I love them and sometimes I can't stand them and that's what some of the time is sometimes I love you sometimes you know we ain't, we don't get along that great but we're right. gonna fight the good fight and in the end we're gonna make sure that this relationship is solid you know what I mean so we made sure that we uh when we're actually shooting this weekend our, our video for the song, so we'll have the video coming out the same day as the as the single, and it's going to be story driven. We got a couple of great young, a young pair of actors to act out the scenes, to tell the stories. So we look forward to releasing that, too, to let the world see what what this what the story is about, because the story to me, the story is the song is great, sounds great. But the story is just as powerful. You know what I mean? So, right. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. We're definitely looking forward to that. It's going to drop on December the sixteenth. Now, where can folks reach out to you guys if they want to get in touch with you and also keep connected with updates as far as new music?
3: <clears throat> well, you can find us on social media. We're at the official four PM. That's on Twitter, Spotify, Instagram, TikTok, uh, YouTube. That's our Gmail. Facebook. It's, yeah, Facebook. It's at yeah. the official 4 p.m.
0: Mm, so definitely keep in touch with them there. If you like positive music, music that's all about loving your woman, not degrading your woman, not being in that doghouse. If you want to play <laughs> something to get the mood right, get it that's right and tight. Throw on some 4 p.m. and 4 p.m. is going to turn into... 12 a.m. If you know what I mean, if you play your cards right,
2: <laughs> that's what's right. up. That's what's up. That's what's up. All
0: right, say so any shout outs you want to give, guys, before we wrap.
2: Yeah, man, to yeah. you know, to, to all of our fans, everybody that supported us from, from 95 to today, we're excited to be back. People have been asking for us, we didn't really go anywhere, we've been doing the family thing. But shout out to your fans, we're bringing it. We got a whole LP, a whole album coming out for you. And you'll get all of that early spring, but look out for that first single, December 16th.
1: Yep, shout out Thanks. to Jazz Williams, Hookmaster, who produced, who's going to be producing a lot of these tracks. And, you know, yeah. much,
3: much love. Yeah. Red Room Recordings, who provided the studio where we recorded, made the magic happen. Yep. Wilmington, Delaware. Wilmington, Delaware. Yep.
0: All right, and you can catch this interview wherever you stream podcast and also on YouTube, youtube.com slash beyond the album cover and stay updated with all things related to the podcast, Facebook.com slash beyond the album cover. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give a big thank you to Larry, Roberto, and Ray 4 p.m. Thank you guys for coming on thank to the
2: podcast. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you.